All right, it's 5.30. We're going to go ahead and plug the machine in. This is the tabulator that we use on election day. On just an average day in July, just before the August primary, officials from the Election Commission in Taylor, Michigan, hosted a demonstration. We're testing to make sure that the machine records the votes correctly and accurately. That's Taylor Deputy City Clerk Sarah Elrify, and she's conducting a public accuracy test. These are test ballots. So we have to run through every scenario that might happen on Election Day to make sure that the machine is reading it correctly. It happens in every community in the state, ahead of every election, and it's been happening for years. It's a way for anyone who's curious to see how ballots are counted, better understand the process, and fortify their trust in our elections. And as we know, that trust was battered by allegations, without evidence, of widespread fraud in the 2020 election. 2020 kind of stress-tested democracy in an unprecedented way. With our democracy fragile and threatened, we sit down with reporter Claire Hendrickson once more before Election Day. We discuss what's in place to protect this election and the latest false claims putting it at risk. We're entering, I think, probably the biggest test to the election system since the chaos that we saw in 2020. I'm Carrie Jr. II, and this is On the Line. Hey, I'm Clara Hendrickson, or do I just say I'm Clara Hendrickson? How are you going to do it? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hola. <laughs> I'm Clara Hendrickson. I am a Report for America Corps member with the Detroit Free Press. How much of the year is election season? Like, does election coverage kind of impact your coverage? Oh, gosh, I don't know. It feels like we never stopped talking about the 2020 presidential election. I see. The way that I sort of think about it is that 2020 kind of stress-tested democracy in an unprecedented way. You had a candidate uh, for president who lost an election but leveled baseless allegations of widespread misconduct and fraud, targeted uh, Michigan, targeted Detroit in those allegations. And despite hundreds of audits, court rulings, in post-election reviews, including reviews undertaken by Michigan's uh, GOP state lawmakers, there's no there there. Uh, the the election was secure. Uh, the results have been upheld. And we're still talking about something that happened two years ago as we're entering, I think, probably the biggest test to the election system since the chaos that we saw in 2020. Mm. When you say it's the biggest test, what do you mean by that? Groups have made legal efforts to overturn the results of the the last election, and they've been strategizing and making plans for two years now to figure out what they're going to do this upcoming midterm. And just as they've been making plans, so have election officials in turn. So I think this midterm we're going to see how does the system sort of fair in response to continued pressure from allies of former President Donald Trump who are uh, doubtful of the integrity of the election system, but also how does it stand up to folks who are putting pressure on the system and might have intentions to interfere with the process? Now, we're talking about 
disinformation, which is false information intended to deceive, and misinformation, which is just the inaccurate information altogether. Can you talk about any changes that were made in 2020 after the speculation and allegations that occurred? I have heard over and over and over again these last two years from Trump supporters who will say it was the strangest thing seeing Trump ahead on election night in Michigan and waking up and seeing Biden pulling ahead of Trump. Mm. The process played out the way it's supposed to, but it definitely unsettled some people who wanted that certainty on election night. One key change um, is allowing clerks this cycle in more communities to process ballots two days before the election. I don't know if it's going to make such a difference. I don't think we're going to see necessarily anything conclusive coming in on election night. Have there been other changes proposed? So we've seen a number of different initiatives. The GOP state legislature has introduced uh, numerous bills and pieces of legislation to change election rules. There's also been a lot of back and forth over a new pamphlet from Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson's office for challengers monitoring the process. Benson is a Democrat running for re-election, and you may remember would-be challengers pounding on the doors of the then-TCF Center in 2020 when too many showed up. The new pamphlets include instructions that challengers must present credentials issued from Benson's office and communicate only through a liaison. After a lower court determined parts of the pamphlet were at odds with the law or hadn't gone through the proper process, the Michigan Supreme Court on Thursday allowed their use with some justices saying a call for change came too late. We also have a proposal on the ballot this fall requiring drop boxes in every municipality for voters to return ballots. It would also establish in-person early voting ahead of elections. So in some ways, um, the administration of elections themselves is an issue that voters in Michigan are going to be able to weigh in directly on this, this midterm. Wow. So I want to get into how it all works and and the safeguards. But first, can you briefly tell the journey of a ballot from a voter's hand to a certified vote? Elevator pitch version. Yes, elevator pitch version. So voters can cast their ballot in person, uh, return an absentee ballot, and those ballots are counted using election and using voting machines Those results get reported as unofficial results. After the election, there's a canvassing process where uh, basically election paperwork is reviewed to confirm that the unofficial results uh, are good to go. And you have county boards of canvassers that sign off on them and certify elections for any races in the county. Um, And then those results get sent up to a board of state canvassers that reviews the county vote totals and certifies statewide elections in any races that cross county lines. What are some of the steps clerk's offices take um, before election day to prepare for absentee ballots, people coming in to vote, all that kind of stuff? Right. It's a... I feel like clerks basically have to be experts in logistics and planning because all of the steps that make an election happen, you just have to sort of think well in advance. Safeguards include um, checking every absentee ballot that comes into the clerk's office, making sure the signature on that return envelope containing the ballot matches the signature in the voter's file. 
Before each election, every municipality in the state tests its voting machines to make sure that the machines are going to count the ballots accurately. So all of that sort of prep work is done in advance before any of the machines, you know, head to to polling locations or, or counting boards that process absentee ballots. You got to witness those experiences in the state of Michigan. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about that experience there, where you went, what you did, what you saw? Sure. So I went to Taylor ahead of the August primary to observe their public accuracy test. The public accuracy test is when election officials uh, open their doors to anyone who who wants to observe the process to – look at the tabulator and make sure that it's ready to go for election day. We're going to, you know, feed in all of these sample ballots and make sure that each one is being correct, read correctly by the machine. So it's an opportunity for people to see how the process is supposed to work. Yeah, up, right? up close. Um, and it's a way, I think, to make the election process more transparent. Yeah. All right. So the machine is now ready. So on election day, once it loads, they're going to open the polls and they're going to get a message that says results are zero, select an option. And they're going to print what's called a zero tape. That tape is going to show every race, all of the candidates, and that the results are zero, that we didn't preload the machine with any results. It's like a CBS machine. <laughs> they basically went through every single combination of uh, possible scenarios that you could see with the ballot. So, for example, one ballot would have uh, what's called an overvote. So the first one is an overvote. The voter filled in too many bubbles. And let's say in the GOP gubernatorial election, this voter voted for every single candidate. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's that's it's not a valid vote. It's not going to be counted correctly. So we want to make sure that if somebody overvotes, they put their ballot in the machine, that the machine warns them, one, to say, hey, you have an overvote. You can either return your ballot, spoil it, and go get a new one, or you can cast it as is, but any of the races that you overvoted in will not count. Does that make sense to everyone? It's just sort of playing out all of those scenarios and checking that, yes, the machine is doing what it is supposed to do when it is reading the ballot. It's usually a process that, you know, um, Starts and ends with very little fanfare. Oftentimes, uh, people don't even show up to the process uh, to observe it. Anything else? So every election worker that's staffing polling locations and the counting boards that process absentee ballots, they all have to undergo training. So they know the procedures and the process in place. I went to observe a training where election workers were being instructed on how uh, to to carry out the absentee ballot count. Good evening, everyone. It was really fascinating. They had a whole sort of room set up in the basement of Huntington Place, which is the convention hall in downtown Detroit, where the city processes absentee ballots cast by, by voters in the city. And it was sort of like a mock election process. They had sort of the, the the ballot scanner. Each person was going through handling mock ballots. If you have a situation at your table where one of the envelopes or one of the, the ballots that we're processing uh, doesn't meet the criteria that we have, then we need to raise the red flag so that we can get the attention of one of the supervisors. 
still try to make sure that there's a mix of members of both parties participating in the process. There's never a moment when ballots are left alone with one election worker. A team carries the ballots to what's called the receiving board that takes in all of that material and all of it is sort of under lock and key while the the next step of the process plays out. After the break, we discuss candidates on the ballot who denied the 2020 election, myths and disinformation surrounding it this year, and the safeguards in place to protect the vote. We're back talking with Free Press reporter Claire Hendrickson about the election process. And of course, a big part of that has become dealing with false claims. So can you touch on the candidates who are running uh, who are election deniers? Sure. So the most prominent election deniers on the ballot are running for top statewide offices. Tudor Dixon, during a gubernatorial debate ahead of the, the primary, said that Trump won the state of Michigan, which is not true. You have Matthew DiPerno, Matt DiPerno, who is running for attorney general, and he really rose to national prominence in the wake of the 2020 election as a lawyer uh, who was uh, representing a plaintiff in a lawsuit that was making all kinds of allegations about the voting machine and the Dominion voting machine in Antrim County. You also have Christina Caramo running for secretary of state, which is Michigan's chief elections officer. She rose to national prominence in 2020 after she served as a challenger in Detroit, where she claims that she witnessed uh, misconduct and fraud. I've looked into her allegations. Mostly they confuse standard processes for something for, for wrongdoing. Considering we opened this up talking about 2020 and you're talking about how we seem to keep talking about 2020, we now in 2022 have candidates. They, they've gotten a lot, picked up a lot of steam based off of their um, accusations around what happened in our state in 2020. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's important to note that whoever serves as governor, secretary of state, attorney general, they're going to be in there during the next presidential election. Mm-hmm. And... Michigan is a key battleground state. It is likely going to continue to be very politically competitive, and uh, it it could find itself in the future in the crossfire of any efforts um, like what we saw in 2020 to to change the vote. And what have what have candidates been saying about this election? So we've seen some candidates refusing to commit to accepting the election results until it's over. For example, uh, GOP gubernatorial candidate Tudor Dixon hasn't said one way or the other whether she will uh, commit to accepting the results. So that's potentially something we could see where election deniers who lose their election will cast out on the legitimacy of this of this midterm. We could also see uh, legal efforts to overturn the election like we saw in 2020 with allegations of fraud and misconduct. Allegations are already being made. In the days before the election, Christina Caramo, the Republican running for secretary of state, filed a lawsuit to have a court declare that only absentee ballots requested in person be counted in Detroit. Caramo lobbed claims without evidence related to an idea of illegal ballots. 
An attorney for the city clerk called the move by Karamo, who's black, blatant racism in the majority black city. The lawsuit is still pending. What What is some of the disinformation you've heard ahead of this election? Honestly, I feel like at some point, the creativity of election disinformation kind of just has an expiration date. Even if there was theoretically a problem with the machine and how it counted votes, there's a record of every vote cast in an election because we use paper ballots. I guess the the biggest new set of claims that have been leveled since 2020 have to do with the security of drop boxes. Uh, in Michigan, it's lawful for a member of a voter's family or household to return a ballot on their behalf. And then postal workers and um, employees of clerk's offices can also handle ballots and return them at drop boxes. So there are explanations and valid reasons why you might see someone returning more than one ballot at a drop box. Talk about the national efforts being made by groups to monitor the election process. Sure. There are groups that deny the legitimacy of the election that are mobilizing and training folks to monitor the process. And they're doing so in ways that have unsettled election officials. There's this group called the America Project that was recently formed And spearheading that group is former Trump national security advisor Michael Flynn and Patrick Byrne, who's the former CEO of Overstock.com. This pair uh, are sort of well-known, prominent election conspiracists. And that group is affiliated with an organization in Michigan called Michigan for America First. I was looking at one of the manuals on the Michigan for America First website and They suggest that volunteers set up hidden cameras to capture license plate numbers of voters returning ballots at ballot drop boxes. Uh, They suggest if if monitors go uh, at night to monitor drop boxes that they show up armed. Election officials have said that they're going to have zero tolerance for anyone who tries to be disruptive or tamper with the machines. I think I think what we've seen is that election offices have really ramped up security efforts um, and are going to be keeping close tabs on the possibility for for interference. And so what, what systems are in place to protect the integrity of the election in case outside actors try to interfere? I think the biggest safeguard is just how many people are involved with the election process. You have election inspectors, election workers from both parties. You have local canvassing boards with an equal balance of Democrats and Republicans. And if there was any kind of attempt to interfere or commit fraud on a widespread scale, it would be very easy to discover it. So uh, lots of involvement by multiple people with differing political affiliations um, and multiple records and backups of uh, the results to confirm that, yes, the the ballots that were cast are the ballots uh, that created the election outcomes and results. It sounds like just based on the comments we've heard ahead of the election, it seems likely that there's going to be some fighting once the, the results come out. Yeah, I think this midterm is going to be a test to whether or not um, there's just been a lot of bloviating from election deniers um, 
and or whether or not there's going to be a very litigious post-election process where we're going to see some of some of this play out in the courts. And it'll be up to the courts once again to decide whether or not they're going to uphold the the outcome of a valid election. It's November 4th, uh, Friday before the election. Mm -hmm. Tell people how they can vote. So. If you want to vote absentee, I'd recommend going in person to your local clerk's office or a satellite voting center and putting in that request in person to get your absentee ballot. You can even fill it out then and there and return it as well. So you don't have to worry about postal delays or anything like that. Those have to be received by 8 p.m. on November 8th. Otherwise, they won't count. And they can only be requested in person by 4 p.m. November 7th. On Tuesday, November 8th, polling locations will be open across the state. You can find your polling location at the Michigan Voter Information Center on the Secretary of State's website. And polling locations will open at 7 a.m. and close at 8 p.m. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Claire Hendrickson, we thank you very much for your time and your patience. Thank you. And your voice. <laughs> <laughs> A big thank you to Detroit Public Television's One Detroit for the audio in this episode. They recorded it for a joint project with the Free Press. And you can see a special on the election on their Facebook and YouTube pages. This episode was produced by me and Darcy Moran. Our executive producers are Anjana Delgado and Marianne Struman. And our editor is Peter Batia. The music for the show is called Fort Trumbull and was produced by DJ Lost Boy. If you like the show, please share it, subscribe to it, send it to your friends and family. And don't forget to come back next week. See you then. Election oh, season MVP. Too kind. Thank you. I, for, I really <laughs> wish there was another like title above in the goat, goat, goat. Goat. Thank Election you. Election season goat. Oh, All appreciate right. it. Thanks, um, Claire. Yeah, thank you. Bye.